Progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a very formal welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. This is how we get the week started, with a little Kabbalah and a little coffee. So wherever you are, I hope you've got some coffee in your cup, because you're about to get, as our tagline goes, Kabbalah in your cup. Right? Cup in Yiddish. See his, uh, his head. All right. Um, still can't get over the name of the restaurant, the Tim, right over here. Donna's right here. Tim is right here. Uh, Tim mentioned to me a restaurant in Chicago called Barbecue for the Perplexed. What a great name. What a fantastic name. Maimonides would be proud of such a naming convention. All right, so today we're talking about guilt and success and wealth. And we're going to talk about this from a uniquely mystical perspective because there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of books out there and a lot of seminars and videos and you know, all sorts of things to help uh, people get wealthy, get rich. I'm going to share the mystical perspective today. We're going to, go, we're going to get into um, a folly. Hopefully, I think, we'll, think we're going to get into this. The, the folly that can enter a person's mind when it comes to business and how Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy can help guide us away from that uh, potential negative thought pattern. Okay, so first things first. We're going to start with our, one of our favorite topics, which is the doctrine, the mystical doctrine of the sparks. What's the mystical doctrine of the sparks? So it goes back all the way before time to a place called Tohu. According to Kabbalah, there was a realm called Tohu that preceded the realm that we exist in, which is called Tikkun. We live in the realm of Tikkun. We live in, uh, remember that book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? So um, lots of light was from Tohu. Little light is from Tikkun. I'll explain in a moment. So it says that there was a primordial world. Donna, is, um, is Sandrine by that, is she there by the door? Can you just double check? Thanks so much. Okay, thank you so much. I, th- I, saw, I thought I saw her walk by. Um, so there was a world of, world of Tohu, which is the world of chaos. That was, an, that was a, a non-sustainable realm. Let me explain what was going on over there. In the language of Kabbalah, there was Ribuyar, Umiyot Kalim. There was a lot of light and a little bit of vessel. So imagine you have a, a, a space. Well, imagine a physical example. Imagine a famous example that I... Famous because I've said it a lot. I don't know if that's famous, but whatever. One that I've said frequently is, imagine you take a, a paper cup, which I happen to have in front of me with tea, by the way. Imagine you take a paper cup and you take a fire hydrant, like a fire, um, like a fire hose, and you, whoosh, hey, good morning. And you, um, you, you spray water. I don't know if it is even water. Fire hydrants have fresh water in it? Yeah, okay. So imagine you spray the water from the fire hose into the... Um, into the uh, cup, the paper cup. So what's going to happen is not only will the cup not hold the water because there's too much water, but moreover, the cup is going to break. It's going to it's going to like bust open. It's going to you know crumble. If it's a paper cup, it's going to I don't know. It's going to disintegrate into many pieces, and it will be completely unusable. So that's what happens when you have too much light, so to speak, in a vessel. The other classic example is imagine a teacher is teaching a student and the teacher's, the ideas are way too big or way too high for the student to understand. So not only will the student not understand the ideas, on the contrary, or moreover, the student's mind will become completely confused. So imagine if Einstein would step into 
fifth grade science class, and he would teach on his level, not on their level, but on his level. Imagine Einstein teaching his theory of general relativity to a group of fifth graders. It's not, again, not, if he doesn't step it down, if he just explains it pure the way he understands it on his, you know, incredible level, so not only are they not going to understand it, it's going to confuse them, and their mind is going to be like, what just happened? I know it. Like, it's going to be, it's actually going to be a painful experience. And so Kabbalah says that anytime you have too much light and too little vessel, what happens is the, the vessel cannot contain the light. It's too big. And moreover, the light can actually crash the vessel. That's the way it works. The light crashes the vessel, and the vessel doesn't contain the light. And so it was in the world of chaos, the world of Tohu, the world of Tohu. By the way, the Torah says, the Torah alludes to this. The Torah says that in the beginning, hey Matt, good morning. It says there was Tohu Vavohu. There was chaos and void. Good to see you. What does that mean, chaos and void? It means it's, re- it's a reference, it's an allusion to this world of chaos. The world of chaos where there was a lot of light, a little vessel, and essentially it shattered. Now, lest you think that this was a a uh, science experiment gone wrong. You see God mixing the little vials of stuff and poof, the whole thing shatters. And God's like, whoops, should have toned down the light. So you should know that God doesn't make mistakes. This was a, a perfectly intentional, perfectly by design. And the design was in order to facilitate what would come next. Sometimes you need to do one thing in order to do another thing. That's the way things work. Now, could God have not done the first thing before the second thing? Sure, but ultimately things also, God wanted to create a world in a way in which there is some sort of logical trace to it. Therefore, it takes this logical progression. So what happens? So let's, let's talk about the process of, of, uh, of Tohu. So the, there's too much light, two little vessels. If you want to picture earthenware vessels and too much something that shatters them and they just like they explode, you can. Obviously, that's not what happened. It's not a physical understanding. It's a conceptual thing. It's a spiritual dynamic. But either way, you can picture it however you wish. Too much light, two little vessels, and what happens is that realm completely shatters. Now, the way Kabbalah explains it is that the shards of the vessels, again, not physical shards, but conceptual, spiritual shards, metaphysical shards, those shards now contain the light. You with me on this? There's the shards themselves also contain a measure of the light. They contain a measure of the light of Tohu, the primordial light that was too big for the vessels to hold, but they're somehow saturated. Hey, Alex, great to see you. They're somehow, you know, inside that space of vessel. So that's kind of what's going on with with the light and vessel. Now, these shards, Kabbalah says, this is all from the teachings of Kabbalah, primarily the teachings of the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzhak Gloria. Anyway, these shards, which contain this incredible light, you know, the residue, the residual um, effects of this incredible tohu, chaotic light, so these shards, they constitute the, 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 the core um, backdrop of our physical reality. Now, this is, this is called, in Kabbalah, this is called the world of tikkun, the world of, uh, of repair. So tohu means chaos, too much light to little vessel. This, re, this realm is called tikkun. Tikkun means repair. Why repair? Very simple. Our job is to fix the vessels that broke. What that means is to seek out the shards, which could alternatively be called the sparks, 
the shard sparks, seek them out because again, they're shards that have the energy of the light, that primordial light, seek them out and reunite them with their source. That is the goal of life, really. That is the goal of Tikkun. It is all about finding, it's playing hide and seek, it's finding the shards, finding those sparks, reuniting that, utilizing that thing for a higher purpose, and thus reuniting that light back to its source. That is what life is all about. That's how the result explains it, yeah. Is there any analogy, you know, like you gave the analogy of the water and the is there any analogy to, to righteously to Sadakam? They don't have an animal soul, right? Oh, good. So let's speak about Sadiqim in a second. Excellent. Perfect segue. So Tzadikim, let's talk about a Tzadik. Right, Tzadik is singular, Tzadikim are plural. So what's with a Tzadik? A Tzadik is someone, you know, we might translate Tzadik as a righteous person. That's much more than that. Someone who does the right thing doesn't necessarily mean that they're a Tzadik. They could be a Bainani, as Tanya explains. A Bainani is somebody who always thinks, says, and does the right thing. So that doesn't make one a Tzadik. A Bainani, the difference between a Bainani and a Tzadik is that a Bainani is somebody who internally struggles. Right? There's a struggle inside, on the outside, they're doing the right thing. So imagine, again, just to quickly explain this, this distinction and as Tanya ex- explains it, which is really beautiful. So imagine somebody ask, asks you to help them schlep boxes. And you're like, are you kidding me? Schlep boxes? What, I, maybe, you know, can I, can I opt for a root canal? Like, what am I, like, schle- I, schlepping boxes on a Sunday? Like, that's not what I want to do. But it's a good friend, and they helped you, and da, 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 whatever, and you know it's the right thing. You know, I'll fill in all the reasons why you would do it. And so you say, you smile, and you say, of course, I'd love to help. And you show up, and you help. And you know what? At the end, you feel okay. It was a good, it was a bit, so you did a good deed. You helped your friend, and it's wonderful. It's great. Okay, so here's what happened. What happened was you did the right thing. You said the right thing. You smiled. All the right things. Internally, there was a struggle. Now, I ask a question. Does your friend know about the struggle? No. Does he even care about the fact that it was a struggle? No. The bottom line is, needed the help, you help. Now, if you help and you're grumpy the whole time, you're like, uh, uh, but then it's going to affect, then, then, you're, then the effort, the action is not perfect. But assuming the action, eh, perfect, whatever, is, is not, not all positive. But let's say the action is positive. So who, does it really matter that internally there was a struggle there? No, why would that matter? In fact, one could argue... Uh, so it matters to the person who struggles because they know themselves. You know yourself, right, that it was a struggle. Huh? There was guilt. That's why you did it. Right. Or you feel guilty that there was a struggle. Yeah, yeah but that, oh, so one second. Good. We were touching on a lot of very important things here. So number one, regarding the guilt, Alter Rebbe says, why are you, why are you feeling guilty? You're str- well, no, not only that. The fact that there's a part of you that says, I don't want to do it, is your natural animal soul that cares about itself. Who put that inside of you? You didn't do that. Don't feel guilty about that. God put that in you. And why did Hashem put that in you? So that when your friend asks you to help them move schlep boxes, you should have an internal pull that says, I don't want to. You should overcome it and thereby actually reach a higher level than if you would have said, sure, I want to do it, and you really wanted to do it inside. Why? This is the other point that I wanted to get to, which actually ties in perfectly with the guilt, which should neutralize the guilt on, on both levels. Number one, it's not you. Number two, this is actually a good thing. So who's greater? It's hard to measure, right? The one who wanted to help schlep boxes and schlepped, or the one who did it and did it anyway? One could argue it's the, sa- it's the latter, the second person. Why? Because they were able to overcome a challenge. They were able to overcome their own 
struggle and still do the right thing. There's a lot more effort. It's a lot more beautiful. It's more meaningful. It's a growth experience. All sorts of, there's a bunch of reasons why that might be a higher experience. Now, of course, the person who obviously wants to help and does and, and like is totally selfless and that's obviously a very high level. So we can't discount that. But there is also an advantage to the struggler. To the struggler. This is how the author explains the role, the mission, and the value, ultimately, the value of the Bainani. I love, and, and, and if you, you know, one word to learn when you're studying Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy is that word Bainani. It's a great word. Bainani literally means average. Literally means average. But in Tanya, there's nothing average about the Bainani. There's nothing average at all. He's not so average. He's extraordinary. Or she. It's not, it's not right. He or she is extraordinary because what they're doing is they are dismissing. Dismissing. They're dealing with the inner challenge, the inner strife, and still doing the right thing. That is immensely powerful. In fact, and Tanya explains, God derives more pleasure from the work of the Benini, which is work, than the work or the service of the tzaddik to whom it comes rel- at this point relatively easy. There's more to think about uh, you know, a student. What, you have two students. One student, two, they don't have to study at all. They get 100s on the test. The other one has to break their head to get like an 80. Right? They have to like, yeah, t- you're the teacher. You get more nachas from the kid who got the 80. Straight up. Because you know how hard they work, then you, you appreciate that. It's, there's, there's more... Th- there's something beautiful about that. The kid that got 100, it's perfect. It was easy. Okay. What do you say? It's perfect. Perfection is perfection. But the Baini, there's something special about the Baini, which is why in Tanya he says that most people are not Sadiqim. Clearly, you know what it means? God likes the Baini because he's got more of them. That's, it's, that's the conclusion. So he says, for example, you know, people would cut. The Atarebbe writes in his introduction to Tanya. So again, just let me explain some words here. The Atarebbe is the was the founder of Chabad. He was a mystic and a scholar and a, a, a Jewish legal expert as well. And he founded the Chabad branch of the Hasidic movement. He was born in 1745 and he passed away in 1812. Um, so that's the Alter He wrote his magnum opus is, the Tanya, is called Tanya, the book of Tanya. And what I'm sharing with you right now is coming from Tanya. So he explains also over there that this is why, oh, and he writes in his introduction to the book, to the book of Tanya, that this book, because people had uh, a lot of spiritual consultations with him, and he said, there's so many people, it's getting getting difficult to schedule everyone with a private consultation. So therefore, I'm writing a book that should have all the answers, that has all the answers to all the questions. Look at the book. Trust me, he's still met with people, but it was like, here's a handy reference guide. It's it's not like Q&A. It's not like, oh, what do I do? Oh, here. Question, answer. It's, it's a guide, it's a path. You could learn it for years and never fully get to its depth. It's an incredible, incredible work. But one thing I want to mention is... is that what you gave us the, yes, the, yes, the whole time, yeah. Now, one thing that, that I want to mention from there, re, pursuant to what we're talking about right now, is he talks about a condition. He talks about a condition where um, a person has been working on their, let's say their davening, their prayer to try to focus during prayer, which is hard. I mean, if you're praying for like 30 minutes to an hour every day, so it's, it's hard like for the morning prayers. So it's sometimes hard to keep a focused train of thought. It's, it's easy to get distracted. 
Right? You find yourself like your mind suddenly wanders, and the next thing you know, you're thinking about, I don't know, any, any sort of thing. In fact, that ties into our discussion today, which is going to speak about getting distracted by money and business and guilt and all those things. Anyway, so it's very, it's very common, it's very, it's very usual, it's, very, it's a frequent occurrence that in the middle of davening, you're suddenly thinking about everything else. In fact, that ties into a story. I'm doing a story within an anecdote, within, a, within an idea. It's, we have a lot of open parentheses here. Stay with me. This is a feature, not a flaw. I mean, I think so, of, of KNC. So there's, they tell a story about a chassid. I forgot his name, but this chassid was in business. I believe he, huh? No, no, no. Well, he, what, what was his name, though? Um, ah, whatever. So anyway, he was one of the great chassid, and probably of that, of that era, the Alter Rebbe's era, maybe a little bit later. Anyway, he was in the logging. I think he was a logger. Log, not a blogger. That didn't happen. That was that didn't exist back then. But he was like uh, sold wood, and he, you know, he was doing his cheshbon, cheshbonis, which means his calculations. You know, figuring out how much he, how much he sold, how much he spent, you know, the whole thing. And he does all the calculations, a whole paper, page or two or three, whatever it is. And at the bottom, when it comes to the grand total, he wrote three Hebrew words, ein od milvado, which means there's nothing else other than Hashem. There's only one reality. His business partner said, come on, <laughs> give me a number. What are you doing here? What are you, like, what? You're, you're doing business. Why are you thinking of Hashem? He says, look, if I'm able to think of business while I pray to Hashem, while I pray to God, you with me? If, I'm, if, if I have, on occasion, if I'm thinking of business when I'm praying to God, why can't I think of God while I'm doing business? If it works one way, it should work the other way. But anyway, the point is that when we pray, it's, it's very, it, it, it happens, it can happen, that we get distracted. So the author Rebbe says, imagine you've been working on prayer. You've been working it for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and you're still finding yourself distracted when you pray. Imagine the level of frustration. You might say to yourself, why am I bothering? It's not working, right? It's not working. Can't do it. Right? It's not effective. I'm still distracted. It's a waste of time. And the author says, no. It's not a waste of time. The fact that you're distracted is not the prayer. It's the animal soul. In fact, the more you're doing it right, the more the animal soul is putting in all of the effort. You know, like when you, when you work a computer hard, like the fans kick in. Like, because like you're using a lot of, I don't know, CPU, you're using a lot of computer uh, processing, right? Or GPU, I don't know if I'm getting the words right. I feel like I'm... General processing. There you go, right. <laughs> so you're, you're using a lot, of, a lot of the computer, the computing uh, power. When you're praying and when you're praying, when, when you're really working prayer, you're using a lot of, a lot of energy, guess what kicks in? The distraction kicks in. So when you feel the animal soul, or whatever you want to call it inside, when you feel that the distraction kick in, it's not a sign that you're doing it wrong. It's a sign that you're doing it right. Remember, a bainani is not defined by perfection inside. A bainani is marked by imperfection inside, by struggle inside, by distraction inside, and yet overcoming that and still putting out the right thing. Still putting out the positive thing, the holy thing. So again, to, uh, to, to, to kind of crystallize this, in the language of Kabbalah, there's inside and outside. There's the inside of a human being, which is your 
your, your head and your heart, your emotions, your ideas, that's the inside. And that might be, for most people, 99.999, et cetera, percent. Most people are aspiring benonim. We're aspiring to be average. Not a if we're trying to be a tzaddik, it's a path filled with frustration. If you're trying to be a tzaddik, then every time you have a distracting thought, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you is that you thought you were a tzaddik. But what is, why do we need tzaddik? Tzaddik is showing us what that looks like, what that perfection looks like. Not that we should look at the inside part, but on the outside, because they're seamless. Also, a tzaddik could be a guide, a spiritual guide, which, which actually where I want to get back to today about the sparks, seeing the sparks. Um, but a tzaddik is, a tzaddik serves many roles, but a tzaddik is not what we're trying to become, and that is perhaps one of the greatest mistakes. In fact, the real name of Tanya, we call it Tanya, but the real name that the author Rebbe called it was Sefer, which means the book, shell of, Benonim. Sefer shall Benonim. It's the book of the average person. What an average title. It's like, how to be average? How to be, who would write a book called How to Be Average? That's so... Non-inspiring. But in the Alter Rebbe's formulation, the Alter Rebbe's concept, it's the most inspiring thing at, um, uh, of all. It's telling us that you can be imperfect, not can be, you and I are imperfect, and yet we can still put out perfection. You don't need to be perfect inside to behave perfectly outside. And yes, we're not always going to even do the right thing. And we'll struggle and we'll fail, but we have the potential at any moment to do the right thing no matter what's going on inside. They said about, about Reb Nissen Nemanov. He was a Chabad rabbi chassid in France. You ever heard of him, Nissen Nemanov? He was like the, uh, like the previous generation. Like anyone in, in Paris would know. Like he was like Chabad, like he was like the dude. He was like the mashpia, the spiritual uh, mentor of, of France. So Reb Nissen, they said about him that he was a, that he was a bainani of Tanya. He was like, he was thought, speech, and action. He was, he was holy. So I heard this from someone, Rabbi Denberg from Florida, I think Boca or Coral Springs. One of the, there's two brothers, and one of the, I think the Boca, I heard it from Denberg in Boca, Rabbi Denberg, that he was for some reason Rabbi Nemanov, I think was a relative and he used to sleep. He's when he was fundraising for the yeshiva in Paris. He would go to Montreal sometimes and stay by his parents' house and he would sleep in his room. So when he got a little bit older, maybe 10, 11, and he knew the, some terminology, but he was still young enough that he didn't have uh, the filter. You know, he was old enough to know and young enough not to have the, the proper filters. So he said to him, are you a Benini? Like they say about you, you're a Benini. Is that true? <laughs> so he smiled. He said, ask me another question. He said, okay, so how, how do you become a Benini? So Rav Nissen said to him the following. He said, take, so he said, for one second, can you think, say, and do the right thing for one second? No matter what's going on inside, can you think, can you just clear, just think, say, and or do the right thing for one moment? Sure. He said, great, just keep on doing that. <laughs> just keep on doing that huh? don't stop don't stop in other words a bainani is one moment at a time so every moment so you have a distracting thought or you have an urge to say or do something that's not so kosher okay no problem 
You don't, don't judge yourself negatively. That's normal. Again, the Alter Rebbe normalizes that, what's going on, on the inside. It's normal. Mazel tov, your, your diagnosis is your abandoning or your potential abandoning. That's normal. So now all you need to do is make sure that that doesn't manifest in negative, conscious, active thoughts, speech, or action. The difference between something that pops into your head and active thought, by the way, just to clarify, is back in the day, before um, ad blockers and pop-up blockers and all that stuff, you can even get browsers that have this stuff built in. You don't have to deal with distractions anymore, other than the ones that they bake in. Whatever, but that's in something else. Um, back in the day, as you recall, back in the infancy of the World Wide Web, you would get pop-ups. Right? You'd be browsing innocently, and boom, something pops up. So here's the question. What do you do next? You didn't cause the pop-up. You didn't choose the pop-up. The question is, do you click for more, or do you click the little X box in the, right in the corner to close it? That's what the question is for us as well. The question is very simple. When the negative, destructive, you know, whatever, that, whatever the negative, self-defeating, not so spiritual, not so holy thought comes to your head. What do you do? Do you engage or do you exit? That's the question. So that does it. The fact that it popped in your head doesn't not make you abandon it. It makes you normal. It makes you absolutely normal. The question is, what do you do next? Abandon is able to dismiss and move on and continue to, 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 to shift their minds to something positive, to say the right thing, say good things, and to do good things. That's what abandon is. At Sadik is someone who never has the negative thought inside or the negative desire. Anything other than holiness, the sound that does not have inside. It's either, well, there's two levels. Excellent question. The Altarab explains in Tanya, there's two levels of a tzaddik. Either it no longer exists altogether, the negative inside or the opposing force, or it's so dormant that under normative circumstances, it will never crawl out of its state of, of quietness. The bainani is someone who actively needs to suppress that because it's active inside. So the bainani is the wrestler. It's like there's two forces inside that are battling and there's a constant need to suppress, subdue, conquer, you're not really conquering it, but for the moment that, you know, the, 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 the negative side. He calls it right side and left side. Right side being the holy side, left side being the not so holy side. So but the right side conquering the left side, that's a constant battle. Um, the tzaddik doesn't have the left side. He, Did he win the battle, the tzaddik? Or? It could be. Could be he, he defeated it over years. He quotes um, a teaching about King David that King David said about himself that he killed his animal soul, Yetzirah, with fasting. You know, after his incident with Banshat, whatever. So he subsequently fasted for years and he ultimately... So there's a way to do that. Some tzaddikim are born with it. Just, you know, born with that type of different wiring inside. But again, those are very, very few. You're talking about like a, maybe a handful in every era and every generation. Out of the billions of people on planet Earth, maybe a handful. The vast majority of people, like you and I, have this duality inside. Now, a tzaddik not only doesn't have a struggle. Here's where I wanted to go with this today. Tzaddik not only doesn't have the struggle of the vanity. A tzaddik has a clarity of perception. A tzaddik has the ability to see the world, and see what's really going on. It's sad that it doesn't see the outside, it sees the inside. I remember we once had a, um, a speaker over at the old Chabad building. If you recall, if you remember the old building. So we had a sm small sanctuary, 
and there was a fireplace. Remember the fireplace? Behind the fireplace was like a brick wall. At some point it was pink. Yeah, it was, it was like a lighter shade of Pepto-Bismol pink. And then at some point, then we painted it a little blue. Right? It was the girls' room and the boys' room, whatever. Not that, it, not that colors are exactly that. But before that, initially, I believe it was just brown brick. For years, it was just like, like this color, just like regular red, brown, whatever color that is. Right? Regular color brick with, um, I think, like a white painted fireplace area on Shabbos. I don't know if anybody remembers this. We used to put the kids... Davening, we had, you know, little kids used to put them on the, on the little fireplace thing. They would sit there for the end of davening, for Aleinu. They would like, you know, give them some candy, whatever it is. Okay, so that, that, was, the old, that was the old place. I remember we once had a lecture. Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe, still around, still lecturing. He's, um, he's, he's very proficient in halacha, Jewish law, in Kabbalah mysticism, in secular law, comparative law, but he also... Uh, has a bit of a scientific background as well. Anyway, he, he spoke about a scientific truth, which is amazing. I'm just attributing it to him because I remember his visual. He said, look at this wall. And he pointed to the, to the bricks. He said, it looks pretty solid, right? Touch it. Feel solid. He said, you should know that based on science and physics and what we know about how things work, there's more empty space than solid space. With that wall. In fact, the fact that it's solid is itself something that science has to try to figure out how that makes sense. Because the, the majority of that wall that seems solid, impenetrable, is actually empty space. The vast majority. In fact, if you reduce the entire universe, I believe, into the core matter, not the empty space, I believe it could fit, the size could fit in the palm of a hand. It would be incredibly heavy, obviously, right? But it, the, the density, but but it, it could fit. It's relatively, that's the, what's really solid is relatively small. But we don't see that. We see a wall and we see something solid. We don't see the empty space. I'm using that as an, as an analogy. We see the outside. We don't see the inside. We see the physical. We don't see the spiritual. A tzaddik sees the spiritual. A tzaddik sees, there was once um, a group of college students that went to, to have a private meeting with the Lubavitcher Rebbe in Crown Heights. I believe it was facilitated by Rabbi Moshe Feller, the Chabad emissary, the, the head Chabad rabbi of the state of Minnesota. He was an American boy who became, he became uh, a shliach back in the day, decades ago, and he just has the most amazing stories. You know, the, the Russian chassidim from the old country, they had a certain way, but the Americans, like... The new guard, very fun. Rabbi Fowler, he is, he's a riot. This guy, he's older now, but he is, was, is ab, just absolutely hysterical. He brings these guys, brings his, probably men and women, boys and girls, uh, you know, young college students to visit to a weekend, a Shabbos, whatever it was, and then have a, a, a meeting, a private meeting with the Rebbe. So, you know, you have a bunch of young people and the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's, like the 1960s or 70s, and you know, open, open forum, you know, open Q&A for a few minutes. So one of these students asked the following question. He said, Rebbe, they say about you that you can perform miracles. Is that true? Rabbi Feller was like, don't ask a Rebbe that. Who asks a Rebbe? Can you do miracles? It's like, you don't ask that straight up. Who does that? Well, this guy did. So he's like, he's feeling embarrassed because he's like responsible for this group. You know, like when you're responsible now, you're on the hook for it. You didn't ask it, but it's your guys. 
Anyway, so this guy asked a direct question to the rabbi. Can you perform? They say about you that you can perform miracles. Is that true? So here's exactly what the rabbi answered. Not word for word, but exact concept. He said, everything that exists, everything that happens here has a spiritual origin. Comes from a spiritual dynamic that's shaping it. If you can, if you can modify something there in the source, it will modify automatically the way it's manifest below. That was his answer. I'll let you decide what he was really saying. Huh? No. Answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. He can modify the source? But that's, that, was, that was the implication. The implication is if you can modify... Yeah, well... Well, see, so he's a sadic? I don't get it. The Rebbe is a sadic, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, the Rebbe was saying about this guy. No, but the Rebbe was saying about, in general, that if one, theoretically, if one can, if one has access to the source code, right? If one has connections and access, you change... Look, in any code, right, you see a website... It's a blue theme. Someone coded that. It's like a five-character code that makes it look blue. You change the code, change a few characters around, it's red. If you change the code, you change the way it looks. That's one thing we know about. So you're saying it's a direct connection with God, with the Rebbe? It's really not about, it's, well, is it about a tzaddik? Yeah, it might be. Sure. Yeah, a tzaddik is able to see things that the average person cannot see. Not that you can, but we get this, but we get distracted by the outside. Yeah, we can all modify. That's why we pray. We pray to create modification. A tzaddik has some more, um, some more root access tools. Tzaddik has like tzaddik can hack a little bit, you know. So our six hundred thirteen mitzvahs is, is that's the goal, right? So that we have this more spiritual. The mitzvahs that we do connect us, connect us to the source. But again, a tzaddik has a different level of perception. And because of that perception, the tzaddik has, can see keys and tools. Look, if you walk into a dark basement, you've never been in there before. What are the odds that you're going to be able to find tools that you need without any light? Probably minimal. If the light's on, you can find the tools that you need. So if the, the tzaddik's perception is... There's light in that perception. Santa can see what's going on. It's easier to access what needs to be accessed. Anyway, it's really the, the class today is not about miracles as much as it is about seeing things, seeing reality for what it is. You and I look at the wall and we see the wall. A tzaddik sees not the empty space. The, so three, uh, a wall and three levels. You and I look at a wall and we see bricks. Uh, a scientist sees empty space and whatever they call it, whatever the scientific name for that is. A tzaddik, that's a scientist, a, phys- a physicist, a tzaddik sees divine energy. A story that I've told before is that the Alta Rebbe, shortly before his passing in 1812, fleeing from Napoleon and the French army who wanted to capture him for various reasons. So the Alta Rebbe, right before his passing, asked his son, they were by a table or by a stender, by a lectern, made out of wood. He said, what do you see? And the son said, I see the table or the lectern. And the father said, I don't see that at all. I see the word of God. I see the Dvar Hashem. I see the, the energy, the spiritual energy. That was before the passing. Right. Yeah. Um, you might also um, I say then that Tzadik um, does not see the person. He sees the soul. Correct. Tzadik sees past the outside of the body and into a soul. 100%. That's why a tzaddik can help guide a person 
to where their purpose in life is because the tzaddik can see the soul and can see the sparks, getting back to how I started today's class, the sparks, right, the shattered shards of, the, of tohu that are in the world and know that this soul is meant to interact with those sparks that are in such a place and a tzaddik can help guide a person to that place. So in fact, it says in Hayom Yom, in one of the daily entries of the Rebbe's, the Rebbe composed a, a, a daily insight calendar, one insight for each day of the Jewish calendar, and I forget which day it is on the Jewish calendar, but one of the days the entry is that a tzaddik has exactly this point. A tzaddik has the ability to see exactly where they need to go and where others need to go, like physically, like where one, and for the rest of us, we rely on signs. Without the clear vision, we rely on on indications, you know, a message here, a circumstance there, a thought, you know, an opportunity there, things kind of move around and before you know it, it's like, wait, this, I feel like I'm being pointed in this direction. And when that happens, we trust that Hashem is actually guiding us because we're not tzaddikim and because we don't have that immediate, the light's not immediately on, we have to feel and please God, we're feeling the right, God puts the right you know, things in our path, so we feel our way to the proper destination. So it's sad that sees the spark, sees where those shards are. You know, um, they have uh, the light, huh? So the Rebbe was taking his Look, the Rebbe literally sent thousands of people. Yeah, the story of, you read the stories of the Rebbe, and these are, it's, like, it's like a drop in the bucket. The Rebbe literally sent out thousands of shluchim. You go here, you go there. My father-in-law, I mean, it's like, what lay is that? Uh, I mean, the parents, he wrote in. So they, they, had, they had been in Detroit and then Miami and then they were back in New York. They had a few things that wasn't really the right fit. He had a few options. And one of them was Johannesburg, South Africa. So he wrote at Settel. Settel is Yiddish for a note. He wrote a note in asking the Rebbe for guidance, where he should go. Anshlichus. And he put the, it was like five different options. The last one he put Johannesburg. Why? Because who Johannesburg? It's like other side of the world. It's 1982 or 84 or 83. Somewhere like the, the early 80s. Johannesburg. What did he lose in Johannesburg? He's from Kfar Chabad, Israel. His wife was from Montreal. He's going to go, go to Johannesburg. Gave it in to the secretary. They gave it to the rabbi. He got it back. Johannesburg was circled. Going to Johannesburg. That's it. He's been there ever since. The Rebbe literally sent people around the world. So, a tzaddik sees things. Tzaddik sees things. And also the thing you would say to people. You know, oh, always the right thing. Always. The, you watch. Gonna, this is going to happen, but I do this and... You read the stories, you know, we have the weekly story print out. You could go to JEM, you know, yeah. Jewish Educational Media, and, and look at the website there. The stories are it's just it's, it's countless stories. So JEM, an organization, Chabad uh, organization, multi, uh, media organization in New York, media sounds the wrong word, but they, their mission is to preserve the Rebbe's um, audio and video. Part of that is, They've, they, a, few, a number of years ago, they took on the, the task to document stories. They took a tour on the Soul Trip. Yeah, years ago. Uh-huh. In their offices, yeah, yeah. The editing, the room, and everything. It's like you, the, the stories are, 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 are endless of 
people that, that the Rebbe guided in a way, in, you know, even by dollars, momentary encounter, three seconds, a question and answer, and like a, a clarity that's, that's, that's unbelievable, that obviously comes from a vision. Um, anyway, the, I just, you know, my head is now filling with stories, like it's percolating, but what if we tell... If we told, okay, so first of all, we still have the signs. Hashem still gives the signs. Second of all, you can still read the Rebbe's letters and guidance, and you can read, um, you know, you learn the Rebbe's Torah, and learn Torah in general. The more we plug in, the more spiritual vision we have. We might not be on the level of a tzaddik, but the more we align or attune our minds to Torah, to divine, you know, way of thinking, the more likely we are to see the things that are a little bit more spiritual. If our minds are focused on, and again, I'm not, it's not, it's not, I'm not uh, trying to speak negative, but if, if our, our minds and our eyes and our attention and our hearts are focused on you know, completely mundane and secular things, then how do we expect to be able to see something a little bit deeper? Because our whole world is, is that stuff. But if we're learning Tanya, we're learning Chassidus, we're all here a couple on coffee Sunday mornings, right? And we study Torah and we study you know, the daily chitas maybe, which is the chumash, the seitilim, and we study tanya, we study talmud. If, we, if we're studying Torah, we're more likely to have a bit of a, a deeper view on things. When I say deeper, it's, again, it's not a judgment. It's just saying we're more likely to, to be attuned to the spiritual. It's very hard to be attuned to spiritual, to spiritual if we're literally attuning ourselves to a different channel. So, yes, we're not going to be on the level of rabbi. And, yes, it was... Write and bring a letter. We believe that there's still a power. At Sadek still has the ability to figure out a way how to answer from the other side. Yeah, for sure. Look, we are, I think it's an appropriate conversation because we're less than a week away from the 3rd of Thomas, which is the anniversary, the 28th yard site of the Rebbe. 28, by the way, the numerology, the gematria of 28, or I mean, 28 is a number, but the corresponding Hebrew letters, Chaf is 20 and Ches is 8. That spells the word Koach. Koach means strength and power. So it's, uh, it's a year, it's an anniversary of strength and power to draw strength and power from a tzaddik, from a tzaddik's legacy. And the soul, obviously, of anybody, let alone certainly a tzaddik, the soul never goes anywhere. So there's still a soul connection. But anyway, the point, that, the point really where I'm, what, what, um, why we're talking about this is to simply state the following. There are sparks in the world. The sparks from the world of Tohu that are now embedded in the world of Tikkun. And each of us has certain sparks that we are meant to engage with and then uplift. That's our task in life, is to uplift these sparks, is to engage and uplift and radically transform these sparks back to a place of holiness. Tzaddik can see that. Tzaddik sees where the sparks are. Tzaddik sees where they need to go. Tzaddik sees where the other person may need to go. That's the, that's the value of a tzaddik. Value, sorry, not the value, but that's, that's one of the features of being a tzaddik. Vis-a-vis our conversation about money and wealth, a tzaddik has a different perception about how wealth is generated. You see, most of us, Present company, obvi- present company obviously excluded, most of us see wealth, success, money as the product of physical work and, f- and, and 
you know, intellectual ingenuity. If I'm smart, I make the right choices, have the right education, get the right job, put in the effort, da, 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 et cetera, then I will be successful. That is, that is, there's an equivalency there. A tzaddik has the ability to see that the formula does not work exactly like that. Tzaddik sees that, that the gelt, the money, the success, right, the wealth, is not a product created by the physical effort, but it's a completely spiritual blessing. I, I always think, uh, just me, influence of, of Hollywood, and somebody mentioned it earlier today, I think also, The Matrix. I think you mentioned Matrix, right? So I always think of like seeing the physical and then seeing the matrix, the, the, the code, seeing the spiritual. It's not, seeing the other side of it, seeing the spiritual code. So we see the wall, we see the money, we see the job, putting in the hours, equaling a paycheck. Tzaddik sees that that's not the equation. Tzaddik sees that the money, the success, is not something that was born of physical effort, but rather is the end result of a very extensive spiritual continuum that begins in the source, source of God. It's spiritually coded into the fabric of the universe, and then on the last leg of the journey, it assumes, imagine like the spiritual light, and then it gets encased by a physical container. That last leg of the journey, final leg of the journey, a blip on the larger journey radar, is what our work does. Our work doesn't generate the wealth, it just encapsulates it. The bless, it encapsulates the blessing of wealth to make it tangible, to make us be able to hold on to it. Because otherwise, it would just be ethereal light that we can't, can't grab light. Unless maybe you're a tzaddik. You can't live off of light. You live off of food, which you get through money, which you get through your job. But the job doesn't create the wealth. It encapsulates it in a way that we can hold on to it. Does that make sense? That is the way a tzaddik sees reality. And the reason why I say that is because that's exactly what our chapter is going to do. It's our, our chapter written by a Rebbe, written by the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dovber Schneerson, who was certainly a tzaddik, somebody who could see this reality and say that, you know, Hevra, which is uh, peoples, folks, you, are not jet, you do not create money through the job. What happens is you are giving it a coding, a material coding, that you can then enjoy, or behold, or see, or touch. Because without that, you can't touch it. It's too ethereal. You're giving it the coding, but you're not creating the core. You're giving it the coding. It's like I'm thinking of, I don't know, a chocolate-covered marshmallow. You need the marshmallow, otherwise you just have chocolate. You with me on this? Terrible example. Anyway, whatever it is. The po- huh? They're both good, right. They're both standalone. What are we talking about here? Eat the marshmallow plain, it's fine. Fine, okay, bad example. But it's like, it's, I, I don't know how you give an example for light covered in, 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 in garment, but that's exactly what it is. It's a li- I mean, I guess the, the only other parallel is the soul and the body, where the body is literally a glove to the soul. So again, we can look at the outside. That's normal. We see a wall. We see a body, right? We see money. We see, we see a job. But Kabbalah says, you have to know this. Remember, you, you know the shopping carts? They have at like the supermarkets that look like a car for the kids, right? It's got like, it's got like a shopping cart, but then it has like, I don't know, some, and it's got a steering wheel. And the kids are turning the steering wheel. Woohoo, they're turning it. And you're like, oh no. And then like you pretend like they're driving. 
kind of like that. It's kind of like that. Not exactly. Not exactly. It's kind of like that. God is driving this car. He gave us a steering wheel also. Keeps us busy. It's like, look, I'm driving. God's like, sure you are a cowboy. <laughs> you keep on going. You, you're, you're driving great. That's what I tell my kids. You're a great driver. They're like slowly pulling into aisle 12. I'm like, very smooth. If I see them doing a little rough, I'll, I'll hit some, uh, some canned goods. I'm kidding, I won't. Um, but, like, but it's more than that. I, I, I have to be careful with this because my analogy is not, is not perfect. Because in the Kabbalistic side of things, there is something that we do objectively, which is we give it that material encasing. So the kid in the car is doing nothing, <laughs> really nothing. Um, you know, the better example is, I was thinking about this this morning. I don't know if this exists anywhere other than Kennywood. I don't know if you know what Kennywood is. Kennywood is the little amusement park outside of, right outside of Pittsburgh. So the, like our local amusement park, for one minute, they had the tallest roller coaster in the world. It's called the Steel Phantom for a minute. And then like, like the next year, someone built something bigger. And then they, and I think they stopped trying because it's like a small park. Pittsburgh is not a lot, whatever. But it's great. It's a very family-friendly park. It's a lot of fun. It's called Kenny, Kenny Wood. Kenny Wood. It's like a yellow arrows. I don't know. It's like that whole theme. In my head, I see it. Anyway, they used to have this car. Like, um, you could drive it as a kid, and essentially you were on a track. I love this. You got into a car. So it wasn't a go-kart. I mean, it was kind of like a go-kart, a mini go-kart, but it, there was like a metal, a metal track, maybe two metal tracks, and the wheels were on the outside. So you couldn't, like, freestyle too much. Now, you could turn, but even if you didn't turn... The track was going to take you there anyway. You with me on this? It was such a way where no matter what happened, you were going to follow that path. You couldn't like hop the track. It wasn't possible. But within the track, you had a little leeway. Maybe that's another way of, of, of understanding it. It's like God gives us a steering wheel. He says, go, you can drive a little this, a little there. At the end of the day, God is still driving it. Look, the difference is that we believe, as we've been discussing over the last really few months, is that we, can, we have input into what generates the blessing from on high. And we have the objective input in creating the garment that we can then hold on to. So all of that is true. But on, on the biggest level, God is really driving this car. God is really the driver. And at the core, when we see success and wealth and guilt, it really is divine energy covered with a hard shell. That's really what it is. It's divine energy covered with a hard shell. A tzaddik sees that. And a tzaddik, therefore, says the, sees the following. Sees people that are potentially, potentially obsessed with garments, 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 and neglecting the core spirit. And that's the folly that we're speaking of right now. We've spoken about a lot of, this book is called Overcoming Folly. And Overcoming Folly, really, the, another way of saying that is understanding the errors, the, the errors of perception, conception, of you know, the calculations that we make, the errors in that, and trying to correct that. So we might say, uh, you know, I, I want it, so therefore I should have it. No, that's not necessarily correct. Um, I'm just going through some that we've discussed from the beginning of the book. Um, no one's going to know. People will know. You know, I could do this and get away with it. You can't really. Um, it's not going to hurt me. It will. This one is, I need to earn a living. I have to therefore invest all my time all my effort, all my brain space, and my heart into, into earning a living. 
And what he says over here is, as we'll see today, is that the, the effort that we put in is absolutely necessary and important, but within a context. Because what our effort does is cover the blessing, which means that a major focus needs to be on generating or tuning into the spiritual energy and making sure that that's coming our way. And then, of course, doing what we need to to, to clothe it in a way that we can then enjoy it, but to, to generate that light first. Okay, so with that being said, let's jump into the text because I actually, there's a lot to read inside and it's really, it's very straightforward and it's very beautiful. Yeah, pass those around. Um, we are, the book that we're studying, of course, as you know, as I just mentioned, is called Overcoming Folly. And we are in chapter 2 of Discourse 25, which is page 352. I'm going to share my screen for everyone online and also for myself because it makes it easier for me to read. And let's jump in. So in chapter 1, which we, which we uh, explored last week, we spoke about the blessing and the garment. The blessing is the divine light and the garment is the outside. It's kind of like the wall, right? There's like the, the space or whatever it is, and then there's the wall that you see, or the soul and the body. There's the blessing, the spiritual blessing, the spiritual energy, spiritual light, and then the outside garment. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's go. Chapter 2. These garments, back inside, the garments of nature, accord with His divine will and purpose. In other words, the garments of nature are not an aberration or not a, an abrogation of what God wants. God is not like, oh man, garments. Fooey. No, garments are part of the plan. It's God's will and God's purpose. Those are very strong words. God wanted it and it achieves a purpose. Why? Let's continue. As it arose in his will to create a physical universe. In other words, this is exactly what he wants. This is not a mistake. It's not a flaw. It's a feature. God wanted that this space, this our space, be a physical space, which means that, that all the light needs to have a physical material encasing. Take your marshmallow, dip it in chocolate. Again, terrible example, but just the imagery. You take the light, you dip it in a garment. That Then it's, you could see it. If you didn't have the garment, you and I wouldn't see it. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be real. You couldn't touch it, you couldn't hold it. God wished, let's continue inside, God wished that everything, even the divine light in this world, be concealed within nature. Again, these are big ideas. These are big ideas. This world is powered by divine light. In fact, this world is all divine light. It's just the divine light is encased in a physical garment. So that tree out there, that tree is divine light. With a tree, with a case, right? It's like a tree case. You know, like a phone case? Right, so there's a phone inside, and then it could be like a gold case. This is a very simple case. I don't know if it even protects that much, but whatever. But like, you have a case, then it just gives it like a flavor, a style, flavor, like a style of flair. Right, so imagine divine light, and then there's a tree. There's a tree case on top of it, or a uh, or a human case on top of it. Obviously, the divine light is attuned to its case, but in the case here, is, he's calling garments. Let's continue. Despite their origin, fourth line, 352, three, sorry, 351, despite their origin in God's purpose, I'm sorry, 352, 
Despite their origin in God's purpose, the garments of nature do utterly conceal the godly light and flow. In other words, God wants the garments, but now that you have garments, you can't see what's inside. God wanted garments that you can't see past. God didn't want translucent garments. God wanted opaque garments. God wanted that when you and I look at the tree, what do you see? A tree. That's how God, this is by design. There are God's garments, because who else made the garment? God makes the phone and the case. God makes the marshmallow and the chocolate. God makes the light and the garment, right? I mean, we have input, as we'll see soon with money, but God creates both, but God's, God's conception or vision of what a garment looks like is that it, it's, it blocks the light to the point that you can't see past it. So again, despite their, I'm going to read the sentence again, the fourth line uh, down from this last paragraph. Despite their origin in God's purpose, the garments of nature do utterly conceal the godly light and flow. It's God's intention. It's God, it's God but you can't see it. To the extent that a merchant, listen to this, merchant means a business person, is capable of convincing himself or herself, God forbid, that quote from Deuteronomy, his strength and valor of his hands wrought him all this wealth. This is a line from Moses. Moses' final speech to the Jewish people before his passing. Famously, Moses passed away before the Jews entered the Holy Land, the Promised Land, and Moses did his best to like give them as much inspiration, inspo as they call it today, before he would leave them. And one of the things that he said is, be careful, be careful of making the mistake to say that your strength and valor second. It's a paraphrase. Yeah, it's a paraphrase. In the, um, in the original, it's not his strength, it's my strength. Moses is saying, don't say, quote, my strength and my valor and the valor of my hands created all my wealth. He's paraphrasing it here to speak about a third person. And it doesn't matter. I just, I'm just uh, comparing the source to, the, to, to how it appears here. Although it's a quote, it's in quotation marks, it's not a verbatim quote. Basically, Moses says, this is a mistake. If you go into the land of Israel, promised, he tells his people, right? He tells that generation. You're going to go into the promised land and God is going to bless you. Please don't make the mistake to think that you did that. Remember where you came from. Slaves in Egypt. Remember this 40-year journey. Manna from heaven. Water from a rock. Remember that. Clouds of glory protecting you. Remember this. Even when you go into Israel and you work and you're successful, remember that God is giving you the ability to do everything. God is giving you the blessing. It's coming from God. Yes, you're doing something, but you didn't create the wealth. You didn't create the light. You're, you, you are garment, you're covering or, or, or accessing it. You're not creating it. So, this is getting back to, to the sentence here. It's a long sentence. And Rabbi, I've, yeah. I have a question. Sure. Okay, so... You're not implying that we could just sit here and do nothing but daven all day and expect the same blessings to show up. It's almost like a co-creation, maybe? 100%. In fact, okay. the greater the light, the, the greater the need for a garment, if that makes sense. There's, the bigger the blessing is, the bigger the garment needs to be. But at the same time, the question is, what's the ichor and what's the tuffel? What's the primary and what's the accessory, right? What's, like a person gets dressed, what's the person and what's the clothing? 
there's like there's there's a difference. Sure, you need the clothing, right? But there's the person and the clothing. You never say the clothing is was. You could say you know the clothing makes the man or makes the person. Sure, you could say that. But at the end of the day, the ikr is the main, the primary thing is is the body inside. When it comes to the blessing of wealth, literal wealth, the main thing is the divine blessing. Yes, if God has a bigger blessing for us in mind, right, it's going to require more wrapping paper. That's the reality. It requires more wrapping paper, right? At the same time, even as we're wrapping, right, let's remember that where it's coming from. So I want to start the sentence again for the third time. Why? Because I want to get the flow and, and see. So we divide into a few parts just to make sure that this is 100% clear. Despite their origin in God's purpose, the garments of nature do utterly conceal the godly light and flow to the extent that a merchant is capable, not, not uh, intended, not ideal, but is capable of convincing himself, God forbid, that his strength and valor of his hands rot him, it's more than rot him, created all this wealth, created and that his cleverness stood him in good stead in conducting his business. Now, that's, I, I was comparing the translation yesterday to the original. It's not a great translation. Basically saying that it was his cleverness that basically created his wealth. Right? That How am I wealthy? It's because I'm so smart, that's why I'm wealthy. Completely forgetting about the blessing inside. He is convinced. Again, this is the folly. He is convinced that he followed the nat- natural paths to wealth. 354, and success, and selected the most reasonable for himself. In other words, I did everything myself. He, he bought shrewdly, and he sold advantageously, and his superior wits brought him profit. Again, this is the kid who's like, I'm such a good driver because I got into aisle 12 in Kroger, right? Again, it's not exact. It's not exact because in the case of the shopping cart, the child doesn't have to do anything. The parent's steering. When it, comes to, when it comes to the gout, when it comes to wealth, there is a necessary function that we do. Because what God sends, you can't cash in the bank. You can't cash that in. God sends a blessing, and it's light. You have to convert it, right? This is where the blockchain comes in. I'm kidding. You have to convert it. Just say blockchain. Everyone's like, oh, I know what you're uh-huh. talking about. Right? You have to convert it from, this, from the energy to something tangible. That's where the work comes in. Right? The bigger the blessing, the more you're gonna have to figure out, you know, the appropriate garment. So this is not, this is not um, dismissing the importance of work, the necessity of work. It's not dismissing the um, uh, um, the result of work. On the contrary, it's saying that all that is necessary in a context of a blessing. Of, of, of manifesting and materializing an otherwise spiritual blessing. But here's the deal. If you take a bunch of clothes and bunch them together, you don't have a person. If you take a bunch of clothes, like a whole pile of shirts and jackets and pants and shoes, and clump them together, you don't have a person. You still need a person inside that you then clothe. You need the blessing to then put the garment around and then grab it and grab and hold on to it that's what that's how guilt is manifest this is coming from again going back to how we started today's class from someone who sees the process not from the outside in from the inside out someone who sees the light and then who sees the garment and who says hevra right hevra meaning folks this is what's good here's the score 
right? There's light. There's garment. Don't get too carried away with the garment. The truth is, he says, let's continue, that these garments of nature, now, hold on. By divine design, it looks like the garments are the whole thing. By divine design, you look at the outside. The wall looks solid. The tree looks real. That's, that's way, it's, by, it's by design, and that's the purpose. It's the way it's supposed to look. But we also need to know the truth, because ap- after all, we are Kabbalists. We're studying Kabbalah and Chassidus. The truth is that these garments of nature are no more than mere garments. They're just garments. You know what that means, mere garments? They're not the th- primary. They're just the garments. It's the outside. The blessing, in this case we're talking about wealth, the blessing comes from on high. Through the garment but not from the garment proper. I, God forbid, I love that line. The blessing comes through the garment, but not from the garment. It, the, the work itself doesn't generate the wealth. The work encapsulates, garbs the divine blessing of wealth so that you can actually put it in your pocket. It's a difference. The work doesn't create the wealth. It it puts a handle on it that you can then utilize. And he gives an example of food, crops, agriculture, an agricultural example. Although crops grow by virtue of the sun and moon, as the Torah states in Deuteronomy, from the delightful fruits of the crops of the sun and delightful fruits of the yield of the moon, in other words, like sunlight produces this, and the moon with the tide, I don't know, I'm not... Uh, but it's a, this is the moon is as advantageous for certain other foods or fruits or vegetables, whatever. The point is that you know when, when somebody asks, so how uh, you know how does a peach tree grow? Oh, soil, water, and sun. Where's God? Right. So although crops go by virtue of the sun and the moon, yet they are only agents for the blessing, and do not determine whether or not to give their radiance. Uh, well, he's talking about sun and moon. All right, let me let me get away from my from my uh, my tree for a second. What he's saying is the sun and the moon are facilitators. Let's just use the sun for a se- for example for a second. The sun sunlight helps this tree grow. Yeah, so the tree the sun made it grow. What's the sun? The sun is merely a tool, an agent of God through which growth is facilitated. Does that make sense? In other words, for a physical crop to grow, you need physical sunlight, and that's where the sun comes in. The sun doesn't create its own light. The sun didn't decide, oh, I'm going to emit light, and, there, and thereby, through my light, this tree is going to grow. The sun didn't decide that. It's all an agent, right? It's all in the agency of God. It all depends on God's Word, as noted above in Discourse 23. Likewise, the business and the garment act only as agents, while the blessing comes from the hand of God. But, to answer Dr. Max's question, it must be clothed in the garment and the business, namely garments of nature. It must. It's not, op- it's not optional here. You cannot sit back with folded arms and say, God, hook me up with your blessing. It must manifest through the garment, because without the garment, it's not, again, it's not optional. It must be clothed in the garment, because if it's not clothed in the garment, guess what? It's light. Good luck cashing light. Imagine you go to the bank and say, I'd like to deposit this check. Where's the check? You have to be a tzaddik to see it. They'll say, thank you very much. We are done here. If you want to cash God's check, you need to put a garment around it. 
However, that should give a little perspective on what's the main, what's primary, and what's secondary. And here we go. It follows. I love this insight. He's very, very practical. It follows that too much emphasis and concentration on the garment is unnecessary. Look at that. Overindulgence. He doesn't use that word. I'm using it. Too much emphasis, too much concentration on the garment is overkill. For the garment is not the primary factor. Rather, his beneficence, God's blessing, which comes through the, which comes through the garment. Again, it's God's light of success, the wealth, the code of wealth that needs a garment. Great. The bigger the, 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 the blessing, the code, the, the, um, the source of the blessing, the more garments you need, sure. But remember, it's only coming through that, not from the garment. Hence, it is crucial, look what he says, that man, again, not gender, gender specific, that human beings pray to God, who is the master of all wealth. Prayer is not optional in this, in this worldview. Prayer is not like, well, I have all the money. My, my job is great, and Baruch Hashem, successful. I'm making lots of money. I'm working very hard. I'm a very smart person, very smart business person. I, great, I have all this money. You know what? I'm going to thank God and pray. Yeah, God, thank you very much. I'm going to pray when I have time. He says that would be missing the point. Not only missing the point, that would be like missing the primary. That's like, you know, a bunch of clothes and no person. It's crucial that man pray to he who is the master of all wealth. Aye, God. Once I was saying, let's just finish this. That man direct his steps in the path of Torah and mitzvot. So again, he covers prayer, Torah study, and doing mitzvot. That he may be worthy of God's blessing and bestowal of chesed. In effect, he strives that the allotment of beneficence determined for him on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur be actually granted to him through accepting the yoke of heaven and through t- true Teshuva, which means turning oneself toward God. So what he says here are the three, uh, according to Perki Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, Sandrine, you and I were talking about this yesterday, it says the world stands on three pillars. The world stands on three pillars. Torah, Avodah, and Gemilot Chasadim. Torah study, Avodah means, is prayer, and acts of kindness meaning mitzvot. There are three pillars that the world stands on and three pillars that our world stands on individually. And that is Torah study, prayer, and doing mitzvot. When we have those three things, when we're doing those three things, that helps, no guarantee, but that helps generate the blessing from on high, coupled with the work that we do which creates the garment, then we can access it. That's the magical thing. Now, let's be very clear here. We are not in complete control of the blessing. We, can, we must do our best, but we are not in complete control of the source code. We are not Sadiqim, we are not God, we don't have full access. We can do our best to try to generate that by pushing the right buttons, i.e. Torah study, prayer, and good deeds. We can push the, the right buttons, try our best to push the right buttons. There's no guarantee that by pressing this button, those buttons in this combination, you're going to generate X amount of light, and then you should do this job, and that will capture all of it, and then cha-ching, that's my uh, slot, was slot machine, slot machine uh, uh, little uh, meme, thing, I don't know, whatever it is, act, move, move, and then that's how the, and then the money's going to spit out, and that's how it works. There's no guarantee, because we don't write the script. God is still ultimately behind the shopping cart. We still have a little wheel that does a little bit, a little bit. God is ultimately driving this. 
we do our best in focusing, being attentive to the source. There's no guarantees, but we do our best, or, or it speaks, it, it is in our best interest, as he says, essentially, to focus a lot of attention on the source, on the spiritual light part of it, to generate that in a healthy way, and then, of course, to work and do what we need to do to then capture, to then translate that into, uh, into um, the physical. If I'm not mistaken, sound, you know, analog versus digital sound. So what's digital sound? Zeros and ones, right? Bits of information. How does that translate to something audible? So it has to be converted from digital to something that you can hear, something auditory. So there's a conversion process. It almost has to be wrapped in a layer that can then be heard. Because pure code, you can't hear code. You can hear code when it's translated into something that you can hear. So there needs to be the, you need the compact disc. I'm going I'm like 90s. This is me 90s with my techniques receiver and CD player and tape deck and record and, and speak. Yeah, this is, this is when I had components back in the day. Yeah, so you have, you have, you need the CD that has the pits and the grooves that has the zeros and ones, and then you need the player. You need the th the technology to convert that into sound waves, or to convert that into some sort of signal that can then be transformed into sound waves, and you use speakers to pump it out. You need all of the steps, but you pull out the CD, and you turn up the volume, hit play. Not gonna do anything. You have just the CD. It's also not going to do anything. You need both. And his point here is, most people, most people are not in danger of focusing only on the CD when it comes to, to work. Most people are not in, that, that's not the concern. The concern is the other way. You're focusing too much on the other stuff and you forgot to put the CD in. That's, most people have that challenge. The challenge when it comes to, the spirit, when it comes to, Healthy spiritual work balance. When it comes to striking that balance, most people, most circumstances are struggling the other way. Yes, you will have rare instances where a person is so dedicated, Torah, Avoda, Gemila Chasadim, that they forget to go to work. <laughs> you have that on occasion. And you're like, buddy, you got to go to work also. You got you to create, create a garment. But most people, when, when there's a struggle with the balance, it's usually going the way of a person who's working so much that they say, oh, I can't go to shul. I have no time to go to daven because I got to go to work. How can I go to morning services at 6, 7, 8 a.m. or whatever it is? I, I got to get to work on time because I got to make money. And he's like, do you hear what you're saying? I can't put the CD in because I'm worried about pressing all the buttons. What, 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 why are you pressing buttons if you don't have a CD inside? You with me on this? That's the framing. That's the framing of this. But let's read it inside because he says it much more articulately than I can. Let's read this inside. His acceptance and the yoke, sorry, let me say that again. His acceptance of the yoke, that's an expression of, of like embracing God in his life. And his tshuva, his commitment to, to be on board with God, are not for the aim that God bestow upon him, the allotment of beneficence that he is due. In other words, he doesn't do it as a trick. Like, God, I'll say I love you if you hook me up with, uh, with the blessing for guilt, It's not so, it's not a manipulation. His acceptance of the yoke and his tshuva must be truthful for their own sakes. 
because this is imperative. In other words, he's on board with God because he's on board with God. So he will be strong in his observance of Torah and mitzvot throughout the year, offering his prayers at the appointed time, appointed times with earnest intention, and will also and also implore for his needs. And he's going to ask for what he wants in davening. He will study Torah with regularity. He's describing a person, by the way, right now. I don't. I, I'm, I'm kind of reading this quickly, but I, I really don't want to. He's describing a person who gets it, a person who understands. You got to go to work. You got to have an education. You got to have a job. You got to put in the effort. You got to think about business. You got to make a plan. All that stuff. Not one word of saying anything otherwise. All of that, yes, 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 yes. But no one has a problem with that. No one's struggling with that. When I say struggling, no one doesn't know that. That's the one thing you tell a kid before preschool is that you're going to go to the best preschool, go to the best school so that you get the best education, get the best diploma, so you get the best job and make a lot of money. That we know. That, so that path we know. That's called the American dream. What he's suggesting here is that what, has, what, what really drives that at the core is something spiritual. And when a person realizes that, then what does it look like? It looks like here's a person who embraces God in their life, who turns their life. Chuva doesn't only mean when you do something wrong, who pivots toward divine things. This is a person who's strong. I'm just going over the key points here. Strong in their observance of Torah and mitzvot. They study Torah. They do mitzvot throughout the year. They offer prayers at the right times with earnest intention and asking for their needs. This person will study Torah with regularity, and that's a key word over there. Regularity doesn't mean when I have some time, I'll study. It means I have set times. You have a set time to go to work every day? Sure, of course, great. How about Torah? How about Torah? Set times. Permitting no interference. You know what no interference means? It's a very strong word there. You know what no interference means? No interference. It means that, oh, I have something that came up. No, you don't. The previous Rebbe, the son of the author here, Rabbi Rashad, so the, the previous rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Yisak Shinerson, he once, I remember that I studied this in actually when I was 13. I was in Morristown, 1992. I was in Morristown for YSB, Yeshiva Summer Program. It's still going on today. It's a great, it's bar mitzvah age program for, for, for Chabad kids. Um, many Shusterman is going next week to YSB. It's called YSB, Yeshiva Summer Program in Morristown. Marstown is great. It's like fresh air. It's built on a former monastery. It's called the Rabbinical College of America. It's like isolated. It's, it's great. Why am I saying this? I remember studying in the sum, that summer a discourse where the previous Rebbe writes that people in America, they have set times for lunch, 12 o'clock. Don't get, don't get in their way 12 o'clock. They take their lunch break. Do not try to get in their way. I know today now it's a little bit different, but like, you know, like 12 o'clock, Oh, it's France? Okay, so maybe, maybe it's a European thing then, but I think it was in America that he said this. So like 12 o'clock, sacred. sacred, sacred. Is our Torah commitment, you want to do that? Fine. But is Torah the same way? Where every day at this time I'm studying Torah, or these days a week, or is it sacred? That's a good word. I love that word, sacred. Sacred means permitting no interference. If someone calls, if someone texts, it's like, not now, I'm on my lunch break. Not now, I'm studying Torah. It's like a kaviosita means it's kavua in your heart. It's set. It's like, it's like ingrained. Then, listen to this. Then he will occupy himself with business. Then he will occupy himself with business. Study Torah. Do mitzvot. Pray. Right? Etc. Then, 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 then do your business. 
And he will find that 356, less time will suffice. He says, I promise you, you'll find that when you're plugged into the source and you're viewing the work as the garment, you will find that you will accomplish the same amount of work and make the same amount of money with less time and less distraction. The divine blessing has already been determined and it has been elicited and clothed in the vessels of the tense firot of Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya, and lacks nothing more than investment in the natural garments of the constellations and the natural garments of the instruments of livelihood. In other words, all it needs is you, is you're the last, the final mile, the last step. It's like the CD or the whatever was encoded, it was, the, it was stamped, it was pressed, and then maybe records are pressed, whatever this was, it's still pits and grooves and whatever. And then it goes, you put it in, and then it's reading it, and whatever, it's the last mile, just connect the cables. Hence, sorry, hence with minimal involvement in business, the beneficence can be elicited and translated into actuality through the business. When we are focused properly on the source, then the garments will, you still need the garments. Not saying don't go to work, don't get edge. Never said that. But you will find, he says, you will find that you will need less. It's going to take less out of your kishkas. It will take less out of you because you have, everything is, is at your fingertips. Let's continue worthy, i.e., in other words, when man, when the human being is worthy by virtue of his deeds in Torah and mitzvot of the supernal chesed, then the chesed is elicited from Attic. He's now tracing this Kabbalistically in case you want, in case you want the mystical terminology. So when a person is worthy, of the supernal chesed kindness, then the chesed kindness is elicited from Atik, from Keser, Keter, through awakening the spirit of Atzilut, as we have noted, Discourse 24, Chapter 1. The beneficence is elicited into Malchut of Atzilut, the highest world, and continues downward through the vessels and garments of the ten spirit of Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya, becoming physical matter through, the, through investment in the constellations until it ultimately is elicited, until it is ultimately elicited into this world through business. That means through going to work. At this stage, minimal involvement in business is enough. In other words, you'll be able to run the business and be able to go to work and run the business and maybe hire somebody else and it'll run and the money will be, the wealth will be generated, the money will come in and it won't get the kishkas out because the, the, the blessing will have been, been brought on a silver platter. You just need to slap on some garment action. However, if, God forbid, he is unworthy of the bestowal of chesed, i.e. when the allotment of chesed has not been elicited into Atzilut, needless to say, if the allotment was never made on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, God forbid, in other words, if it, A, was never generated, or B, never reached that next stage, if it was generated, or even if the allotment was elicited on high into Malchot of Atzilut, but if it has not formed the garments of beyond the manner that can translate into material good, as explained in Discourse 19, Chapter 1, then what effect could his excessive work have? then what's what you're throwing garments on an empty space. In other words, if you don't have the blessing, so what, you're throwing garments at thin air. You're throwing garments in the sky. They're going to fall down. There has been no listening of chesed from on high, God forbid. Thus, and this is the bottom line, the critical task of man, in other words, I would say the primary focus is to be devoted to God. When the supernal chesed is elicited, then God's blessing will bring wealth even with small or relatively small effort. And I, again, I couldn't say this any better myself. This, this chapter is all about where wealth comes from. You can read many books. You can join many seminars. You can pay thousands of dollars to learn secrets of success. But according to Kabbalah, it's very simple. According to Kabbalah, it's tune into the source where the blessing comes from. 
Now, is that a guarantee? No guarantees. We're not on that side. But we can do our best to tune into the source and to draw from there the blessings. And then the work that we do is necessary and it, it, help, it makes the blessings manifest. But it's not creating wealth through the vessels. It's garbing the blessing of wealth in the vessels. And there's two totally different things. The more knowledge is power. The more you know this, the more you know the spiritual construct. That's why we spent probably three or four months on the spiritual construct. Because once you know that, you can catch yourself on Monday. Monday at 11 a.m. When you're feeling like inundated, remind yourself this is a garment. The blessing is from God. And Tuesday morning, when you're wondering whether you should pray for 10 minutes or get to work early, pray for 10 minutes. Because don't never make the secondary primary and the primary secondary. It was Covey, who sold many books on business, or whatever he sold books on, who said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's the way it is. Keep the primary thing the primary thing and don't make the primary secondary. No need to blend, no need to cross the lines over here. Um, let's formally, we'll formally close out, then we'll, then we'll schmooze more because um, I'm running a little late. I want to thank everybody for joining me this morning for Kabbalah and Coffee. I hope you found this illuminating. By the way, I wish we could continue to the next chapter right, right away because it's perfect continuation. He talks about prayer because that's a major piece of this. Prayer is a major piece. Um, but nonetheless, uh, next time. We will, we will pick it up from uh, chapter number three. It's great to see everybody. Dr. Maxi, Dr. David, Fran, Mariana, great to see you. Good, great to see you on the move. Uh, Linda, Adam, Toba, Richard, it's great to see you guys. Um, a reminder for those that can join us today at 5 p.m., actually right here in this space. It's going to be hot outside, 92 degrees. We're going to do it inside. We'll make the food outside, but we'll have it inside. Um, the IJA... Summer, pleasure, <laughs> pleasure, Linda. IJA Summer Barbecue Bash with the Solish family. Uh, join myself, Leia, and the kids for a fantastic summer barbecue. We have just on the menu, uh, according to my memory, we have pulled barbecue beef sliders. We have burgers. We have hot dogs. We have vegetarian options beyond meat and vegetarian dogs as well. We have salads, we have corn on the cob, we have coleslaw, we have pasta stuff, watermelon, ice cream, the list goes on. But more than, more than the food, more than the food, we'll have the people. So if you can join, we'd love to see you. It'll be, uh, it'll be fabulous to get together. All right, hope you're doing well, everybody. Take care, guys. Next week is Fourth of July weekend. Yes. Yes. Huh? So I have another. I have another challenge. Mm-hmm. I will likely be in New York next weekend. Well, so you won't be here. Which I'll that. which so I'll talk about. Sunday Leaving Sunday morning. Yeah. All right. Well, let's close out our fishing. We'll see you guys. Shavuot Tov. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for joining. See you guys soon. Take care, everybody.